Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey. Morning. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. This is Harriet Kimmick with Tuesday's edition of Down to Earth. Today is Tuesday, January 28th. That's right. Tuesday, January 28th, and we are here. Uh, It's quite the day. Uh, We're seeing a lot has happened. We won't refresh the activities of 48 hours ago, but uh, it's still Tuesday, and it's going to be a terrific Tuesday. So I encourage all of us to get your energy up, get your energy up and revving, because we're going to talk about why Manhattan's luxury skyscrapers are empty, but homeless shelters in the city of New York are full. This is an ongoing issue. We've been highlighting homelessness across the U.S. this past few months, and we're seeing a trend, especially in concentrated pockets of the country, where there seem to be extremes in wealth and poverty. And what we're finding is that wherever extreme wealth exists, there's a corresponding, a corresponding, a corresponding link to poverty. It's almost as if people are drawn to these centers, but what it really reflects at the crux of it is real estate value. It could either be a designed scenario where it's, designed to keep people out or so they uh, skyrocket prices. You know, they raise prices astronomically on housing to disenfranchise people. It could be, or it could just be supply and demand. And so so we're going to delve in this report that I came across on The Atlantic about why Manhattan skyscrapers are, are empty. Meanwhile, homeless shelters in the city of Pole. A few weeks ago, we did a podcast on uh, homeless students in New York City who travel as much as 15 miles from where their shelter is to get to school simply because they cannot find shelter in the vicinity immediately around the school and they can't afford to house themselves. What we found was that these people, most of them were working. They just could not afford to, to house themselves. Now, it's New York City, so there are probably a lot of undocumented folks who live there who will never come forward to be counted in the number of students and the number of people who are actually homeless. So the they, they estimates about how many people are homeless are just that. They're estimates. They're not reflective of really what the true number is because most people, especially under this administration, are not going to come forward and say that they are uh and be counted, right? Which brings me to another point. It's census year. So census packages will be mailed out if they haven't done so already. So it's the year to be counted. So make sure when you get your census package, everybody needs to be counted. Make sure you have, you fill the forms out. Don't duck it. Because <laughs> they will come knocking on doors to see if the doors are empty or not. And it's just it's population growth. We want to know how many people are out there. We want to know who is out there and how many people are out there. Who doesn't want to know that? You want to know, right? So it's the year, it's 2020. Every year, every 10 years, we count folks. Every 10 years we do this. So let's all participate in the census, right? And today being Tuesday means it's a terrific Tuesday, right? But the weather is not cooperating. I'm sure you experienced the same thing we did, we do, when occasionally the weather forecast says one thing, but the weather performs differently. Such was our case this morning. They said all day it was just going to be cloudy. Well, guess what? We had snow squalls, <laughs> right? Not cool at all. Not cool. So all of a sudden you're driving on the freeway and boom, here comes a snow squall out. And you're like, they didn't say it was going to happen, right? So <laughs> we anticipate 
case that it's not going to last very long. It's just, it's January in Michigan. It's almost February. We're going into the season of love. (laughs) Then people are going to fake pretend love. That's going to be something. (laughs) Right? (laughs) People are going to act like they love or fake pretend love. What do you all feel about that? Are you all ready for Valentine's? Is anybody out there ready for Valentine's? You all ready for that? Well, I'm single, so it doesn't bother me. Okay? (laughs) So I don't have to worry about anybody uh, pretending. This is the time of year when folks, uh, they have multiple partners, right? So in order to avoid being with anybody on Valentine's Day, just to keep it level, they, 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 they initiate arguments and disagreements so you don't, you're not talking to one another. Meanwhile, they go find a new partner and spend Valentine's with them. And then when the, the, the heat is over, <laughs> they drop that one and ghost them and go back to the other partner who they really like. I don't know how men find time to play these games. I don't know how you guys have the mental capacity. <laughs> how do you remember? Who, what? What do you just do? Do you just call everybody baby? Because you might just make the wrong name. Incredible. So we're going we're going to the season of Valentine's. I'm so happy I can laugh about this stuff. Right? And they're gonna shove it down our throats. So if you're not with someone, don't hook up with anybody. Do not do a hookup. Just because uh media and advertising and social pressure and peer pressure from your friends make you feel as if you should be with someone. Don't hook up because you're going to pay for it. Because immediately after Valentine's is over, they're going to ghost you. They're going to ghost you. <laughs> and you're going to be <laughs> going into Lent and Easter. Nah. <laughs> nah. Matter of fact, just tell yourself uh, Lent starts early this year. Lent starts this the 1st of February. Just tell yourself that so that you, as part of Lent, you're avoiding all hookups and booty calls. <laughs> You know what? Let me get to what I let me get to what I should be talking about today instead of this because uh, later on in February we're gonna have a relationship expert on who's gonna talk about why do we keep going back to the same people? Why do we choose the same partners over and over? She's gonna delve a little bit into that. She she's a relationship expert because that's what she does. Uh, she practices and counsels people and the stories are amazing. So. We're going to do that. You're not going to hear it from me. You're going to hear it from her. And just then, you might just believe <laughs> that you shouldn't hook up with anybody just for Valentine's. Right? Don't do it. It's, it's, it's injurious to you. So don't. There, it, it's going to start in a minute. I mean, I'm watching TV and it starts already. The season of love. I'm like, uh oh, here they come. Here they come. Red roses, chocolates, right? Uh, 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 sexy lingerie, right? Okay. And then what else do they do? They, they, it's kind of like they just shove these things in front of your face. They simulate couples kissing and having sex for you to think something must be wrong with me. No, you're actually being smart. Don't hook up. Nine months from Valentine's Day, a lot of people give birth with people whom you are spending the next 18 years trying to extricate yourself from. Do not do it. Do not do it. Don't do it. Don't hook up. Don't get low. Don't let your friends say, well, how are you spending Valentine's? Because Jack is going to take me out and Jack is going to take me out. It's like, good for you. Netflix and I will be chilling. <laughs> and you go home and you order something, some takeout, and sit down, put your feet up, and watch some action film on Netflix, and you'll be just fine. Okay? And the next morning, when people are <laughs> in a glow, and a couple of days later, when the glow starts wearing off, right, and they're back to normal, you'll be sitting there chilling like a villain, doing your nails, <laughs> and listening to your girlfriend's grab about Josh, who just suddenly ghosted me. And you'll be like, I told you so. <laughs> I told you so, right? So no hook up. Don't hook up with anybody for Valentine's. Don't bother. Don't, don't mean anyone. Matter of fact, don't mean anybody. Because they're doing the same thing you're doing. Because chances are he broke up with his steady girl and steady side chick. Because most men have three, right? 
a minimum of three. They have one main one and two others. So most likely he's separate, temporarily separated, but he's still not going to leave himself out of it for Valentine's. So he's going to meet someone and, hey, baby, and pursue them hot and heavy, hot and heavy, just to make sure he gets something on Valentine's. And then he starts ghosting her after that. Ghosting, ghosting. Oh, I was busy. I was working. But you want to come over? You can. (laughs) Ladies, be warned. And men, too. (laughs) Right? You're all looking at me like, Am I speaking the truth? It's the truth, isn't it? It's the truth. It is what it is, right? It is what it is. Wow. (laughs) And I hear you all. So today we're going to talk about homelessness in New York City. Why Manhattan skyscrapers are lying empty, but the homeless shelters are full. And I think just by putting all those words in one sentence, you sort of get where this is going and we don't want to accept it because we don't want to believe that it's true but it is what it is we've become ugly as a people we're no longer caring about our fellow man we're like that's not my problem that's theirs we are in hot pursuit of money by any cost let me put it to you like this in between 2011 and 2019 there was an increase in skyscrapers being built in Manhattan. Why? They were taking advantage of wealthy folks from outside the country, right? Everybody who was wealthy in China, China had a booming economy, right? People in Dubai, the United Arab Emirates, people from Hong Kong, and so on. And everybody was looking to buy people in Turkey and other parts of the world who are extremely wealthy. Everybody wanted a piece of Manhattan real estate. They wanted to have a place in New York City because it's the center of the world. It's where everybody goes to. A lot of wealthy people from all over the world also send their kids to college in the United States. So between that time, there were there was a dearth of, of, of skyscrapers. If you live in the New York City area and around Manhattan, there was just construction everywhere. Traffic was impossible. They seemed like there was a boom, right? Why Manhattan? We're focused on Manhattan. We did San Francisco a few weeks ago. Right? Right? And so why do people choose Manhattan? Is is that a question you're asking? Why do people? Because Manhattan is the economic center of the universe. Uh, That's where people want to be seen. That's where things happen. It's the greatest shopping. It's the connection. Most people from all over the world, you want to make a deal. That's where you will find deal makers. That's where deals are made. Everybody comes to New York eventually. Right? People go to London. Yeah? They go to Istanbul, they go to Madrid, they go to Paris, but everybody eventually comes to New York City, right? So because of what it represents, it's kind of an ideal, what it represents is commerce. It's where money happens. It's where deals happen. Everybody sort of wants, they spend a lot of time. The world uh, titans, the world titans of industry And captains of industry spend a lot of time in New York because a lot of them do business with uh, companies in New York. The investment banks are in New York. Some of the world's best investment banks are in New York, right? The world's best tax lawyers are probably in New York if they're investment banks because they can advise people with a lot of money where to store their money and what tax laws to avoid. I'm just giving you the background. So because somebody asked why Manhattan? I thought, I kind of just thought we all understood that because Manhattan is the economic epicenter of the world's financial systems, then we would know that, right? So because of New York's appeal and what it offers, it doesn't just offer a nice place to live and restaurants and so on. The world, major cities have that. But it gives you the opportunity as someone who is a captain of industry from other parts of the world, access to lawyers, to accountants who can provide you with tax shelters, and ultimately, very wealthy people the world over end up doing business with the U.S. government. So people don't, a lot of people don't live in Virginia and, and Washington because it's what it is, what it is, 
but they will have a place in New York because, after all, if you have to do business with the government, you just take the shuttle uh, down to Washington every day. It goes every day, right? The, 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 the train shuttle, right? So do you see where I'm coming from? So because of what New York represents, real estate developers in New York saw an advantage, an economic advantage. Everybody eventually owned somewhere in New York. Even Sarah Palin at one point owned a, a, a townhouse in New York. Because you spend a lot, you may not realize this, but a lot of wealthy people do end up spending time in New York because that's where, that's where it happens. Anyone who is in commerce and anyone who is at the center of things know that. You might have your home in California. That's your primary residence. You might have your home in Arizona, your primary residence, or wherever, whatever part of the world you come from. But you're going to have a townhouse in New York because at some point you're going to gather with your lawyers and accountants. And after that, you're going to go to eat. After that, you're going to socialize with the people whom you have business with. Right? So, they built a lot more skyscrapers to accommodate this burgeoning market that real estate developers in Manhattan foresaw. But what they didn't plan for were a couple of things, public policy at its intersection of people's lives, one of which was the the new administration when they took over embarked on an immigration policy that scared the world away. Everybody became scared that, man, if I get caught up in, in America, they might throw me out because I'm a foreigner. So that was a major thing. So the unintended consequence of the current administration's immigration policy was that it scared away investors. They didn't see that part coming. People also didn't send their kids to American colleges and universities anymore because it seemed like we had become anti-immigrant. A lot of the people who come from other parts of the world, they are immigrants, right? They're very wealthy, but they're still immigrants. People did not want to be placed in those scenarios, so they stopped buying Manhattan real estate. Second thing were trade wars. A lot of people who come from other parts of the world who are doing business with American companies are impacted by trade, trade agreements and laws that, uh, that provide restrictions and laws that govern international commerce. Well, when the trade wars started, that impacted international commerce. Again, it was an unintended consequence of a public policy that the policymakers who created those policies probably did not foresee and did not think it all the way through. So eventually, the people, the real estate developers who took a risk and built skyscrapers, imagining and thinking that they would be occupied by the world's elite and wealthy, found that they're sitting in. In one story that I read, some of them have been sitting empty for five years. Can you imagine what that means to a real estate developer? All your money is tied up in that property, and you can't get a jack soul to buy it. Because the people who would buy it, they already have one in New York. Americans who live in New York City, they already have one. They're probably not going to buy another skyscraper a condo or apartment because they already have one. So the only other people who would buy it are the people whom I aforementioned, in, investors from overseas who, because they come to New York so frequently, don't want to stay in a hotel all the time. It's better for them to have somewhere where they can be more comfortable and where there is some stability. So they don't have to worry about rushing in and out of hotels and so on. They can have a, a, a maid, a housekeeper who stays in the, in, the, in, the, in the apartment throughout the year. I probably am describing a different way of life than you are accustomed to or you are familiar with, but there are different means and ways of life in our existence, right? The way you live and the way I live is not the only way that people live. People do have other existences. You might not be aware of it. It's around you. You just don't imagine that. If you're driving through any major city in this country, and there are skyscrapers, you need to imagine who lives there. When you're driving on the freeway and a car zips past you at 100 miles an hour and it's a Maserati or a Porsche and you can't buy a Maserati or Porsche, well, the person who is buying that is a millionaire and probably can buy more, has a skyscraper or has more than one home. you got to live and expand your mind outside of your own reality sometimes. 
many of the times we don't think outside of the box. We just think that this is the only life, that the life you live is the only way of life and the life your parents live is the only way of life. No, the world is a much bigger stage than you can imagine. This is why this summer, when you get your tax returns in a few weeks, why don't you do yourself a good favor and go traveling? Go see what the rest of the world looks like. If you don't read a lot, you don't watch the travel channels, yeah? You don't watch other shows on Netflix that tell you what other people live like in other places, why don't you go traveling and see firsthand for yourself? Go down to South America. Go down and see what Chile looks like. I don't know that Argentina is stable right now or Venezuela, but go to Brazil. Go down to South America. It will change your perspective. Why don't you take take a trip to Spain or go to some parts of Europe? Go to Italy. Go see southern Spain. Go see southern Italy. Go to other parts of the world. Go to North Africa. If you don't want to go to Nigeria, go to North Africa. Go to Morocco. Drive through places like Algeria, right? Go see what Casablanca looks like. You are going to be amazed at how modern the rest of the world is. Go to Japan. Right now, it's not a good idea to travel to China because they have a virus there that they don't seem to know where it comes from or or can contain Every now and then, every 10 or 15 years, China comes up with some kind of virus from animals because they haven't really contained their system. People still eat animals and crowd animals into small spaces and and not maintain sanitation around it, right? So I wouldn't advise going to China, and I wouldn't advise going to Hong Kong because they're still caught up in an unrest. But certainly go to other parts of Europe that are politically stable right now, right? Go see what Southern Europe looks like. Don't just go to Germany. Go see what the other part of Europe looks like. Go to Turkey. Go to Greece. Greece has maintained some stability right now. Turkey's okay. Believe me, don't follow CNN. Turkey's fine. Right? But go see other parts of the world so you get an idea of how people live. It's going to change your perspective because you think that where you live, you grew up middle class, so you bought a middle, bought into a middle class subdivision, and you think, hey, 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 this is life, and people don't live. Their people have extreme wealth. People have 10 homes that they are maintaining all around the world, right? People have yachts that are docked in New York that are transported to other parts of the world. People live in West Palm Beach for the winter and then summer in the Hamptons. That's not something on TV. That's real. Right? So when we talk about Manhattan's luxury skyscrapers, it's because they were built for that class. They were built for the wealthy class, the people who can afford to live. And invariably, those were not Americans because Americans have the autonomy to move between cities. And so they don't really need to have, unless they have business doing with the, the government or they have business with other major firms in New York. And you'd be surprised that a lot of people outside of New York do have a home in New York because they're wealthy, because they do business and it requires frequent travel and accommodation, right? Hey, how are you? I'm fine. So thanks for asking. So that is why there there were skyscrapers that were built that have since lied empty. Now, you were one of my pre- viewers from on Periscope for a long time. So yeah. Right? <laughs> so a lot of folks then in, in Manhattan, uh, they a lot of real estate developers built a lot of places, and there's now a gloss on the market. Check this out. In 2011, the average cost of one of these condo units was $1.1 Now it's skyrocketed to over $3 million, in some cases $5 million, because real estate developers got greedy, as usual, and built so many and have posted their vacant uh, buildings at skyrocketing prices. The problem is there are no takers or buyers. First of all, there was a glut on the oil market, so the Arabs, uh, the, the Arab millionaires, they kind of weren't buying anything anymore. There was a glut. And then, of course, with the trade wars, people were, and the immigration uh, fight that we've had in the country, people were like, maybe America is not a stable place anymore. Maybe I shouldn't be there. America that used to be so stable, anybody from anywhere in the world, if you had money, you could do things, all of a sudden they changed all of that without thinking it through and realizing that that was going to have the unintended consequence of turning away investors. So now, 
these places are lying empty because that's the extreme wealth. Meanwhile, at the bottom of the scale, there are people who can't find somewhere to sleep. Homeless shelters in New York City are full. In one read story I read, there were more than 147,000 reported homeless children in New York City. That's just who identified as homeless. That's just who came forward and volunteered. That does not is not reflective of a true number because most people under this current scheme are not going to come forward and say that. Right? So why does this happen? What happened to real estate developers? Because obviously the investors who would have bought these places took off and left. They went back to their home country or they just didn't find it appealing anymore because they're going to wait it out and see what happens and so on. But what happens to the real estate developers? If they take one of those skyscrapers, I'm sure they could house people, but what would they do? Would they have to go to the city? Would the city of New York pay for housing its citizens, taking them off the streets? Probably not. The city of New York is run by people who probably are wealthy themselves or who are supported by wealthy people who are like, I didn't put all that into that for people to just walk in there and destroy it. But it tells us it's a sad commentary on the state of mind of our society. We don't care. It's all about me and my four, me and myself, (laughs) me and my two, (laughs) me and my three, me and my four. Nobody cares about anybody. People walk past homeless people on the streets and probably kick them. They're nothing. It kind of reminds me, I used to think that reading, anybody read Charles Dickens growing up, right? That was required literature where I grew up. It was required reading, right? And when I read, I remember and recall from reading Charles Dickens, Great Expectations on Other Works, it seems to me that it was a satirical commentary on how society looked at people at that time. They were very disparaging towards people who were poor. They were uncaring towards people who were poor. I would have thought that over time in the last 200 years, we had sort of evolved to being a more compassionate, caring group of people. I have found that money has continued to drive a wedge. And so the demarcation lines are disappearing and what is left are extreme rich and the very poor. Poor people can't pay for poverty, can't pay for property. They don't have the income to stay in their homes. We saw that recently in Detroit when we did a story on why the Detroit News published a story on why Detroit was overtaxing its black homeowners. It harks back to redlining and Jim Crow laws. And I, call, I still call them Jim Crow laws, whether they were in the, in the North or not. That's just what the whole intent was, was to disenfranchise black people. Now it's to disenfranchise people based on how much you earn. There is a reason why when you apply for credits anywhere, they ask you how much you earn. They're collecting all that data to see where people are, to see what people are doing. That data is meaningful to social scientists and policymakers because it informs them on how to make public policy. What I'm saying is it comes down to our moral code and our moral compass. Are we good people or are we not? The people who create policy, the people who enforce policy, are they good or are they bad? We each have a choice to determine whether we're a good person or not. It seems sometimes that policymakers and politicians across the board don't seem to have that moral compass. They don't seem to have that moral guide that will keep people focused, that will help people, even people who can't help themselves. It seems to me they're more in it for themselves. And they're more in it for what they can get out of it as opposed to what they can do for others. It's just like in the days gone by, there was philanthropy. Remember the Carnegie Mellon Foundation, the Vanderbilt, right? The Carnegie's and so on. A number of very wealthy American families established philanthropic organizations that perpetuate to this day. There are some I have not named because they're too numerous to mention. They give endowments to help others who are less fortunate. Today, 
he performs something, they give it maybe a million dollars and they stop. Or they don't at all because nobody cares. That is what is happening with homeless people in the city of New York. Homelessness is a dynamic. One of the things that it is, is people do work. It's not just mentally ill people who are homeless because we know that politicians have removed from state, city, and county budgets the provisions for mental health treatment facilities. So people who are mentally unwell live with family, and when the family can't cope with their situation, they call the cops. The cops come lock them up. Then they're released. They can't go back home. They end up wandering the streets. That's one scenario. But then there are people who are forcibly evicted because they lost a job and they can't pay their rent anymore. Part of what is driving homelessness across the country is greed. People who own property charge the highest rates that they can, and so people can't. The salaries today, in fact, what is salary? Wages today can't, is not keeping pace with inflation and hasn't done so since 1973. Consequently, people cannot pay to live. That's just the truth. So what we are finding is that people just simply can't make it. I kid you not, people can't make it, y'all. That is what is driving homelessness. So recently we saw in Oakland, in Oakland, California, do you remember that? Where moms were had occupied a house valued at $750,000. You look at it and you're like, seriously? It's not even worth one fifty, right? But that is the price of real estate inflated prices. The developer, people who live around there, they can't afford to live there. So a lot of people, they're working, but they can't afford to pay the rent. The average rent in the United States is not $750 anymore. I'll talk about the mortgage rates that are different based on your ethnicity and your income. That's a different thing, especially those based on your race and ethnicity, right? So people can't your salary, your wages are not. Employers today don't give people 40 hours of work so they can live. Employers are not, they're in the business of profits, profits, profits. If you've ever been in any boardroom, that's all that drives the conversation. How much more money can we make? How can we cut corners? The restaurant industry is famous for that. I'm going to do a story on them later on in February about how the restaurant industry pays people $4, $3 an hour and uses their labor and then lies to the government about how much they actually earn. I'm going to talk about that later. Right? So when you look at this, you have to say to yourself, we have become mean. We don't want to accept that because we like to think that, oh, we're good people. No, we're not. No, we're not. And very wealthy people, I guess, have seemed to have less compassion than they used to. They don't seem to see that I have more than enough. My next 10 generations will have. Let me help others. We're not compassionate anymore. That is what is driving homelessness. It's a public policy. It's where employers determine that they're not going to pay people any money so people can't afford to live, coupled with real estate developers who want to maximize their potential. So they inflate prices on property so people can't afford to live there. So where are they going to be? On the streets. So they're homeless. They have to shift in between. They're trying to keep a job. But invariably, guess what happens? Because they're homeless and they have to move back and forth, eventually they don't work. They and their children. You would. You and I go to bed every night. And whilst I'm very grateful and I thank God that I have shelter for me and my children and everybody I know in my family uh, have shelter and have food to eat and running water and electricity and heat and warmth and all that stuff, I am grateful for that. But I often think about what do people do who have children and whose children are cold. Last night, I was telling my daughter who wasn't feeling well, I was saying to her, thank God we have warmth. And she was like everybody else, you know, just kind of like take it for granted. And I said, no. I said, no. And I said it over and over again because I probably was repeating it to myself. Because we are no longer compassionate. And when she thought about it, she said, you know something, Mom? Thank God for that. I am grateful 
right? So while we are grateful for what we have, what about people who can't? What about people who, because of that intersection of public policy that has impacted our lives? And the thing is, the current crop of politicians, when you sit down and bring these issues before them, they look at you like, and that's my issue? That's my problem? You've got to be kidding me. I have better things to do. Pull their phones out, and they're done, right? Because to them, what is the issue? What's your problem? Right? What's your issue? And so I want to ask the question, really, that I want to ask is, what, are, what can be done about it? Well, there has to be a shift in public policy. You can't expect private enterprise. They're not going to adjust their prices. They're definitely not going to open their, their, their skyscrapers to invite homeless folks in and people who are poor. That's not what they're in business for. But the only thing we can change is public policy. Why? Because some of these people who are homeless at one point were contributing members to the tax base. So the only thing we can ask is that public policy intervenes. And here's how that intervention could be done. Well, first of all, you need to make sure people are paid a living wage. There has to be, we have to create zones where people can, where there is what is called affordable housing. We got to do that because employers are going to be driven by the money factor, which is going to dictate that, well, they're only going to uh, pay so much, right? So they're not going to pay you a living wage because it cuts into their profit. But public policy has to create affordable housing based on where what wages people earn in real time. That's what's going to reduce homelessness. We can hope that people become compassionate enough that they do something about what they charge for rent. We hope that mortgage companies are more lenient in not just putting people out on the street and uh, people who are landlords don't just evict people because they miss a payment for an, on the fifth day of the month and in 30 days you don't pay the rent, they throw you out. We hope, but that's not going to be realistic. Let's just be clear. But what will help is the intersection of public policy and asking policymakers to create zones of affordable housing. Uh, they're doing the same to seniors, yep, regarding assisted living costs. So imagine you work all your life, and all of a sudden, your assisted living increases the price. I saw something like that recently out in California. Real estate developers had bought the property that housed an assisted living facility. You're right, Tony, right? One of my viewers on YouTube, Tony, right? And what they did was they inflated the cost of, of the assisted living. And a woman who had been, she was now like 100, and she had been living there like from she was 70. And what they did was they, they uh, turned that, inflated the cost, and it, her assisted living uh, charge that used to be like $1,400 a month went up to over $5,000 a month. She could not afford it. At 100 years old, she was going to find herself homeless. That's how this society has become, driven by greed and profit, perpetuated by this mammoth lifestyle of sitting on gold toilets that makes people want to go crazy. I have a caller. I'm going to take it. Caller 314. Hi. Welcome to Down to Earth. Thanks so much. Hello, Harriet. How are you doing? I'm fine. Is that your name? Yeah. I got a solution for the homeless. And, and you know, by the way, I'm a Donald Trump supporter. But let me give you okay. this solution. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of tiny homes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why come the people that was protesting, I don't know how many ladies it was in that particular case in Oakland, get together Maybe the city can set offside some land and build tiny homes that could be temporary residence for these people that's in these positions. They don't cost that much. I've seen cases where they built them as cheap as $500, but you only talk about a few thousand dollars. Of course, it's a small space, but you don't need a large space. You're off-grid, 
so on and so on and so on. And believe it or not, there's a tremendous market for this type of living. And uh, it would solve a lot of solutions. It would be a solution for a lot of problems, and it wouldn't Uh cost that much. What do you think? I think think that's a a solution to affordable housing, tiny homes. In fact, there is an enclave here in Detroit that has that. I agree with that. I think it's a, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a solution that is achievable and a solution that is executable. Um, I, I think it can work if we can get policymakers and uh, city city. Well, it could be entrepreneurs, uh, Harriet. It could be I... entrepreneurs, but I think you also need the city to zone certain areas. You know okay, what I mean? Okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because zoning zoning ordinances determine, you know, what space and what kind of uh, structure can be in certain spaces. So I think it's I think it's a very good idea. You know so. how to get around that, don't you? Just go okay, outside well, the city limits. <laughs> I see. Well, that's when when city planners are planning housing. One of the things they factor in is where will jobs be. And how will people commute to jobs? You see what I'm saying? So they want to place, if you notice over the, throughout the country, wherever these tiny homes are, they're usually like right smack in the city because people don't have transportation. And those folks. Oh, you know what, too? A lot of them are mobile. A lot of of tiny homes are mobile. (laughs) People can take them when they get ready to leave. There's solutions for these problems where it doesn't have to be inflamed and dramatized the way it has been around the case in Oakland. It has been many others, too. Mm-hmm. But people just need to uh, put their mind to work and yeah. uh, come up with ways, not only for it to be a solution to a problem, but it could also mm-hmm. be a entrepreneur prospect. Anyway, I'm going to let you get back to your show. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate it. That's a very, uh, that's a very, uh, that's a verifiable solution, don't you think? That uh, putting tiny homes in some of these spaces would eliminate uh, some homelessness, right? We just need to wrap our minds around it and find ways to make it work. The problem sometimes, Tony, is that there are not enough thinking people or people don't think outside the box. This is a solution that I've seen it in some parts of the country and it has helped. It has abated in areas because let's face it, maybe you don't need, we don't need to live in mini mansions, right? Maybe housing is what you need, shelter from the rain, the sun, and the elements. That's really what you need. And as the caller said, most of these are mobile so they can be attached. But again, when they're uh, my understanding of the issue is that and from what I know about homelessness and what I know about how homelessness works is that you want to place this near the centers where people are most likely to find work. Uh, I'm part of the Homeless Action Network of Detroit and so in, in listening to the issues when people come in and they're looking for uh, solutions to their crisis you find that they don't work or they can't find work or they, do, they have transportation issues to get to work. So when you look at it, it's multifaceted. It's not just, uh, it's not just wow, it's one part of the problem. In, in other words, what I'm saying is they're all, we have to look at all parts of the problem. And whilst it's entrepreneurial based or that is what it initially looks like, you still have city zoning laws to consider. You still have city ordinances to consider. And for social planners and, and, and urban planners, you've got to think how will, because people who are homeless are starting from the bottom. So they need to be able to access transportation to be able to get to where they need to get to. They need transportation that's going to help them get to work so they can sustain a lifestyle. In fact, one of the uh, criteria, one of the things they look at when placing people if they're working, is have they, once they're in a facility, can you maintain it for 18 months? If they get past the 18-month mark, then chances are they can maintain that for a while. You see where I'm coming from? Because that's, that's just what it is. Homelessness now, as defined by, the, by HUD, Herb, the Housing and Urban Development Corporation, 
uh, her Housing and Urban Development Agency, rather, they're a government agency, headed by none other than Dr. Ben Carson. And I let, let silence sit there when I say his name. They have determined now that homelessness is defined as someone not having somewhere to sleep at night. So if, if someone is living with a family member, they're not, they might not be paying, they might not have a lease in their name or rent to pay, but you're not homeless if you're living with a family member. Homelessness is defined as transiency. You don't have somewhere secure and safe to sleep at night. You don't have somewhere to prepare a meal. Do you see where I'm coming from? So when you look at that definition, that puts a lot of people, they had to do that because people were saying, well, I don't have my own house anymore. I don't have my own apartment anymore. Well, you're somewhere to sleep at night. Can you prepare a meal? Can you use the bathroom? Then you're not homeless. Homeless is not having secured places. And there are a lot of factors that are even driving it. I wonder how the tiny homes will work in parts of rural America, and especially in rural Michigan, where there is a lot of homelessness because farming disappeared. Thanks to trade wars and so on, farming is a non-issue. So a lot of children from those families, they're homeless. The families are homeless because they don't have anywhere to live. They lost the farm. The bank came and foreclosed on the farm. Banks have always been about profits, aren't they? I'm not a fan of big banks. No, because they're all about money. You miss a payment, they charge you a fee. And before you know it, the fee escalates, escalates, and you're out of a home. Something happens, life happens, right? And when you talk about entrepreneurial-based solutions, one of the, the solutions in the Oakland crisis was that the very developer who, was, who sent uh, troops, yeah, he did, he sent armed men to evict mothers with children. One of the, it, it, it wasn't dramatic, dramatized, as you say, it wasn't dramatized, it was real. They sent armed men to evict women and children. That same developer, they, they actually sat down with the mothers and with the city to find a solution, and he made adjustments. You've got to look at it. You're looking at it like, well, I'm an entrepreneur, so I want all my money. Well, something is wrong with you. You don't have a moral code. Because what happens is the price of those homes were inflated over three years. They went from 400000 to three 750000 the same house. Demand had nothing to do with any reality base. I think a lot of property appraisals need to be reexamined. It's just like in New York, in, Man in Manhattan, right? And that's what caused the problem. So that developer eventually, the city got them to agree that they would uh, consider reducing the cost and to actually present it as a solution to keep their families in the home. Some of these, like I said, can be solved by just being a, a decent person. You don't have to be good. You don't have to put yourself out so you won't make any money. You just need to be a decent enough person. And that's what we're talking about. Common decency evaporated. We don't care about people. We're driven by money and our lack of caring it's driving people. These are human beings. These are not dogs. These are not cats. These are not people who came from another planet. These are not aliens. They're not snakes. They're not monkeys. They're not bears. These are human beings whom we don't, frankly, give a fig about. They're people who can't get their meds and who are losing limbs. They're, do you know that, by the way, let me just tell you this. Do you know that amongst the homeless, rapes and assaults and murders happen. Who is going to believe that? Is the police going to go take a report from a homeless man or woman that she was raped? That her daughter was raped? Her son was raped? Do you know that amongst the homeless, they cut them out, cut their bodies out and take their organs and go harvest their organs? You do know that, right? That's that rapaciousness in all of us that exists. So check ourselves. We talk about being the same people who say they're entrepreneurs are also the same people who say I'm a good Christian and I'm a good Muslim. So check yourself. Check your faith and check your moral compass. You'll find that they don't make. Because if you're motivated by the dollar, then it's not going to work. Here in Detroit, I think it's off the lodge. Tony, it's off the lodge going south near Highland Park, I think. There is a community of, uh, I'm going to drive past there later on today just to get it. 
there's a community of tiny homes that are designed to be a solution to homelessness. I agree with that. There, a guy in Royal Oak, Michigan, also came up with the idea of using empty containers. You know those the containers that they transport stuff. See those big things on the pre- on the freeway that scare the rest of us, like oh my god, <laughs> kind of thing. Well, when they're empty, they just sit empty. Well, a guy in Royal Oak came up with the idea of making that into homes that were way more affordable. Real estate developers did not like that because they want to charge you and I a million dollars for a house that cost them $100,000 to build. When I lived in Central Florida, uh, we bought a house from the ground up, you know, one of those that got built from the ground up. And I kid you not, it wasn't the first house. I think it was like the third house we had we had lived in in a short space of time because we were doing the house thing, right? And by the time we got to this one, I kid you not, the inflated cost of building that, the materials were nothing. You, you know what shocked me? When I went to see the house under construction, my eyes rolled, y'all. I'm like, that's what you're putting in there and charging us three hundred fifty thousand dollars for. And then it really costs you fifty thousand dollars to build. But you're gonna charge us three hundred and fifty thousand dollars with interest and so on the mortgage. By the time we finish paying for it, it's over five to six hundred thousand dollars. I kid you not. When you looked at how the house, the materials that were that they were used in the house. And it was one of the, when we sat down to negotiate, it was one of the, the, the contractors, the providers, told me that it's the same company, the kitchen cabinets that I wanted. It's the same company that makes the low end, makes the high end. So I'm like, so am I going to trust that it's different materials or you just put a different coat of paint over it to make it look different? I kid you not. I was shocked. And Maybe because it was behind a gated community, they wanted, you know, wanted me to think it was worth the money and it had a pool, but I was not impressed. I was shocked. I negotiated for for a good rate, though. I wasn't going to just walk out of there like, you know, I wanted it to be reflective of the property value because one of the questions I asked, well, how is this value going to increase in two years so we make our money back, Right? But I kid you not, I, I, I couldn't believe. So what I'm saying is the rapaciousness that exists is the problem <laughs> because they were using the same materials. And, and the developer, you know, the contractor told us that. He said, ma'am, let, let me just be clear with you. It's the same materials that build this house. is the same one we use to put in the million-dollar house over there. So I'm like, sucks to be them. I'll take this one because this value will go up. And I ain't paying no mortgage on on that over there. Do you see what I'm saying? So there are solutions to homelessness, but are we going to be willing to sit down? Because most of us say it's not my problem. We drive past homeless people all the time. By the grace of God, go I. It's not my problem. But it sort of is. They're human beings, right? Let me read one of the comments. Tony says, you probably paid taxes when you bought that house. And somebody has probably had to pay taxes again on that same house when they bought from you. Of course, the developers never lose. They don't lose. I, I want to tell you, to show you how it is easy to fall into this trap, we were looking to buy a house. And we went to pay down, make a deposit. We looked at a house. I liked the subdivision, you know, that kind of thing. was near, you know, nice schools. At the time, my baby daughter was a baby, baby. She was, yeah, she was like four or five months. I don't even know. Yeah. We started looking at the house before she was born. But I wanted to move into a different school district. And so uh, we went to look at a house. And um, found turns out that we made a deposit. They call it, a, 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 there's a term for it. I forget what it is. A earnest earnest interest to d- demonstrate that you're really interested in it. We made a deposit on it. So one evening when, you know, my ex came home, um, I said, let's go and look at, cause they're, they were, they were not, they hadn't set up the closing date. And I'm like, why haven't they sent us the paperwork to set, set up the closing date? 
let's go take a look at the house again. And he's like, are you sure that's what you want in that, you know, on that side of town, that kind of thing. So we decided to go look. When we went to look, there were four other families looking at the same house who had made deposits on the same house. That's how developers work. I said, no kidding. I said, so hold on. You all made deposit on this? I picked up the phone and called the realtor, and I said, well, here's what you're going to do. You're going to give me back my money, my earnest money, and I'm going to call the news channel to tell them this is what you do. And they said, no, in an effort to appease me, they offered me a house that cost way more than I wanted, but I got it for the same price as the house that I had made the earnest payment on. That's what they do, the marginal. And when some of those folks that I looked at, they were going to have to work triple hard and double hard. One guy said, I'm kind of glad we're not going to get it because I really was wondering how I could pay the mortgage on it. This was before the the mortgage crisis really hit, right? This was early 2000s, right? But do you see where what I'm saying? This, These are the things that let people slip through the cracks. It's very easy. As I wrap up, I got to go. Uh, it's very easy to slip through the cracks. You and I know that from experience. If you've lived long enough, you've seen that. I remember when we were going to the war in Iraq in 2003, my ex had to sit down and say, look, this is going to be a problem. we got to look at where the money is and start trimming because we don't know how things are going to happen. People lose jobs. All of a sudden, you go to work one day and they tell you you have to take a job that pays less, but your bills are already here and they're going to pay you less. Stuff happens. Real life happens. Children have to go to college. Children need stuff. Somebody gets sick. One spouse gets sick. The other gets sick. A child gets sick. What happens to people? Stuff happens. What we have done is look at people and say they don't, they're nobody. They're nothing. Yeah? And we say, it's your problem. You don't try hard enough. You don't work hard. Since when in America, hard work really pays off? In the last 20 years? Tell me. There are a lot of people who are retired right now who can attest to the fact that all the money they thought they would have in retirement that would make their retirement easy, they're finding, as Sony says, they're taxing seniors out of even assisted li- being able to afford assisted living. They're taxing seniors who thought that, okay, I used to earn $7,000 a month when I work, but now I'm, my income is only going to be 4000 so I can move into this assisted living where I only pay $1,200 a month and pay for everything. The $1,200 covers everything. And I will be fine. And now they find out that that's not so. Somebody else is saying something. Hey, you're welcome, right? So I want to ask the question, when are we going to be real with one another? You you know, I did a story about this. Uh, Did you listen? I did a podcast on homelessness in, in San Francisco. Did you know that people actually get together and pay people in parking lots to perform as security so people can sleep in their cars at night? Did you know that people maintain gym memberships just so they can have access to showers? Did you all know that? We have a crisis. The crisis is inflated and directly impacted by public policy. Public policy that determines how much money people earn. Entrepreneurs, as my caller said. That's what you call yourselves, restaurant owners, restaurant operators, large hotel chains who don't give people enough hours and then go have a drink in your name and laugh like a rich man while they swing a golf club. Hello. While people are suffering. Right? We got to change that. I got to go. I told you I got to go. Come back and join me again on this podcast, right? Thank you so much for being my friends this morning. Have a terrific Tuesday. We're going to continue to talk about this. If you want to do something about homelessness in your area, call the Homeless Action Network in your area. Find out what you can do. You may just make a donation that helps somebody stay off the streets, helps somebody find food. And if you have a property you can do it, by all means, do it. It will help. Thank you so much, everybody. This is Harry Kimmis. Uh, on Down to Earth. I'll see you again tomorrow. Continue to enjoy our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, 
right? And various podcast platforms. Thank you so much. I do have to go. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks so much for being my guest this morning. Be blessed. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.